Proverbs chapter 4. Turn there with me if you would. Like Sarah mentioned earlier today, we've been in a series over the last few weeks we're calling Guarding the Heart. Somebody say, my heart is worth guarding. My heart is worth protecting. In Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23, Solomon is writing to his son and he said, keep your heart with all diligence for out of it spring the issues of life. That's the new King James. The new living translation says, guard your heart above all else. Why? For it, your heart determines the course of your life. Your heart determines that. Your heart determines where your life goes and what your life becomes. So guard it, he said, above all else. The Young's literal translation said, above every charge, keep thy heart. The most, he's saying the most important thing I could tell you, son. I know I've given you a lot of advice, and he does. Like we've said before, when you go through the book of Proverbs, it is one verse after another, after another, after another, dealing with relationships, relationships with God, relationship with people, dealing with financial things, dealing with legal matters, uh, dealing with love, all of it. But he says, the most important thing I could tell you is guard your heart, guard your heart. Again, this uh, Young's literal, above every charge, keep your heart for out of it are the outgoings of life. God's word translation says, guard your heart more than anything else because the source of your life flows from it. And that's why he said to him in verse 20, my son, give attention to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Do not let them, them what? Them words. (laughs) That was a good Texan right there. (laughs) Don't you let them words. Don't let the words get out of your eyes, get away from your ears. He said, do not let them depart from your eyes. Keep them, keep them. Put all these words together here. Keep them in the midst of your heart for their life to those that find them and health to all their flesh. Then he said it again, keep your heart. So twice, just in a couple of verses, you hear this instruction, keep it, keep them in and keep your heart. Keep my words in your heart and then guard it. Keep them in, he said. And over the course of this series, we've talked about the function of a guard. What does a guard do? A guard is stationed at a post to keep things out and to keep things in. A guard will be stationed there to keep out an invading force, but it's also required to keep in things that are supposed to be kept in. That's why he said these words here, keep them in the midst of your heart. I want to talk more today about keeping the word of God in your heart. Do you have any idea what your life or my life could look like if we had kept everything we've ever heard from the word of God? We'd be different people. We'd look different. We'd be in a different place. We'd be in different shape if we had kept everything we'd ever heard, everything we'd ever been given. 
Now, I know a lot of you are like me, man. I grew up in this stuff. I've been hearing this word now for a long time. I'm 41 years old and I've been hearing it for probably 41 years and nine months. I mean, this has been a steady diet in my life for a long, long time, but it's not just about hearing it. We're going to see this here in just a moment, but let me just remind you again, it's not just about hearing it. What are you doing with what you've heard? A lot of people have been talking, you know, I've been, I've been in the way, they call it. You see that in the book of Acts. They called Christianity the way. I've been in, living in the way for 30 years. A lot of people really have been in the way for, <laughs> for 30 years or more. But what are you doing? What are you doing with what you've heard? If you and I had kept everything we'd ever heard, Think about it like this in terms of your finances. You know, every dollar that comes into your life and mine has an assignment on it. Now, very few of us live assignment-minded, especially with the money, but face it, that's the truth. Everything that comes into your life has an assignment on it. Do you know how out of this world Wealthy, and I'm talking financially, you and I would be if we'd only ever done exactly what God wanted done with every dollar that ever came in. Now, I got to admit, I've done some other stuff. I hadn't done everything or only the things he'd said to do with every dollar that came in. But think about how different life would be if you'd kept it. Now, I know a lot of it needs to be spent, but how much different would it have been if you had kept it for the right thing or kept it for this thing or this assignment? Well, how much more so the word of God? How different life would look had we kept it? Go back to the book of Luke. We looked at this last week. In Luke chapter eight, you see this in Luke eight, you see it in Mark chapter four. We'll also look at it today from Matthew chapter 13. It is one of, one of the highlights for me out of the life and ministry of Jesus. He said some things in, in these verses that are so weighty and so eternal. He told a parable, and many people refer to it as the parable of the seed or the parable of the sower. Uh, you could talk, you could, you could refer to it as the parable of the ground. Because he talks in here uh, about the seed that gets sown on different types of ground, four specifically, and it only reproducing one time. Now we'll read the parable again, but just let that stand out to you for a second. Because knowing what you know about it, Jesus said the seed that he talked about was the word of God. And that's the miracle of a seed, whether you're talking about this seed that's the word or a seed that contains plant life or seed that contains fruit or something like that in it. It's a miracle because in that tiny seed contains everything that it will become. Everything that it has the ability and the potential to produce is all in that seed. And this is the way God created the heavens and the earth. This is the system he set up for you and I to function in and to function by. It was the seed, then time, then harvest. And everything in this world operates on that system right there, including yourself. You were a seed. At one point you were a seed. Everything that you are now and have become 
used to exist in a seed. Everything in this life starts as seed. So apply that same principle to the word of God and everything that it is and has the ability to do. The Bible says we are born again, not by corruptible seed, but by incorruptible seed. This is the big difference between this seed and every other seed. Every other seed is corruptible. It's dying. It's decaying. This one never will. This one has eternal life in it. And he said, that's the seed you were born again by. See, the one you were born by the first time is corruptible. It's already on its way out. But the one you're born again by is incorruptible. And that's why people fuss with you so much. And they want to fight with particularly conservative people and conservative Christian people. And, and we stand for things that we see in the word about life and how to live it. Then you've got people on, on an opposing side that say, well, listen, I, I was born this way. I was born this way. And whatever it is they're talking about, they attribute it to the way they were born. Now, before you get all fighting mad about that, wait a second. It might be true. To a certain degree, I'm not trying to get into all that today, but listen, what I'm trying to say to you is God is not so interested in the way you were born as he is the way you were reborn, reborn, because it's the reborn nature that can take care of anything that came as a result of the firstborn nature. Are you hearing me? I want you to hear my heart on that being reborn, but it's going to have to be of a different kind of seed. It's the word of God. And this, this word has the ability to bring you and I from death to life. This word is a seed that's got life in it. It's got healing in it. It's got provision in it. It's got peace and joy and restoration in it. That's all in this seed. But knowing that, it ought to really catch your attention when Jesus said that seed got planted four times and failed to produce anything 75% of the time. And you might think, wow, well, is there something wrong with the seed? No, because when it fell on good ground, it produced some 30, some 60, some 100 fold. And the moment it produced something, you know, right then, nothing wrong with this seed. So you got to go back to the ground, right? And this is what he said about it in Luke chapter eight. Um, we'll, we'll read through the parable again in just a moment, but look at verse 15. This is where we, we started with this last week. Jesus said in Luke eight fifteen, the ones that fell on good ground, the seed that fell on good ground are those who having heard the word. Now, every one of these people or these different kinds of grounds, they all represent different hearts, but the thing they all have in common is they all heard the word. And that's what the scattering of the seed signifies. This is people hearing the word. And just with what Jesus said, in these few verses, you can put all of humanity right here. All of humanity fits in one of these four grounds. You're, you're literally describing every person. Anybody who's ever heard the word and God is fair and he is just 
And he will make sure that every person has opportunity to hear the word. He'll see to it. I don't know how. There are people even today that live so far out and so remote and are so disconnected from what you and I call civilization. But I do know this. God sees them and he will give them opportunity to hear the word and respond to it. He's just and he'll do it. But he said in verse 15, those that fell on good ground are those who having heard the word with a noble and a good heart, keep it. There it is again. What do they do with it? They keep it and they bear fruit with patience. Other translations say they heard it with an honest heart. And that's what we talked about last week. A pure heart is an honest heart. But what is good ground? If, if this seed reproducing what it's able to reproduce is dependent upon the ground it gets sown into, then you and I ought to be really interested in being good ground. Somebody say it, by his grace, I am good ground. But part of becoming good ground is finding out what's in the other ones. Right? Finding out what kept the word from working over here and what kept the word from working over here and what stopped the word from working in this kind of ground. Because once you identify that, you can say, okay, well, as long as I get rid of that and as long as I've got the help of the Holy Ghost to not be and to not do that, I'm good ground. And this good word, when it's sown in good ground, produces a good harvest. The word's working. The word will work when it's sown in good ground. So I want to go back. Let's just back up a few verses here. Then we'll turn back to Matthew 13. But just look at this. In verse 11, Jesus said this. The parable is this. The seed is the word of God. Those by the wayside are the ones who hear. Then the devil comes and takes away the word out of their hearts, lest they should believe and be saved. Now go back to Matthew 13. That's what we're going to dig into a little bit further today. Matthew chapter 13. And let's just take this thing as a whole again. Just start in verse 1. Matthew 13, 1 says, On the same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the sea. As a side note, that is my vacation scripture. <laughs> That's a nice piece of property. When you can go out of the house and sit by the sea. That's, that's real estate right there. So anybody want to just piggyback my vaca vacation scripture? You can have it. I give it to you. It's free. He went out of the house. He sat by the sea. Verse two says a great multitude, great multitudes were gathered together to him so that he got into a boat and sat and the whole multitude stood on the shore and he spoke many things to them in parables saying, behold, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell by the wayside. And the birds came and devoured them. Some fell on stony places where they did not have much earth and they immediately sprang up because they had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, they were scorched because they had no root and withered away. Verse seven says, some fell among thorns. The thorns sprang up and choked them, but others fell on good ground and yielded a crop. Some a hundredfold, some 60, some 30. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Now look at verse 10. It says, the disciples came and said to him, 
Why do you speak to them in parables? This is a private conversation. So Jesus is in the boat and the disciples are around him and there's a multitude on the shore listening to him. And he's talking to people not about God that they know of, not about the kingdom of God that they can tell. He's talking to them about seeds and ground. And the disciples are probably sitting there going, "Mm, yes, this is good. You all need to hear this. But then privately they come to him and like, hey, what's the deal with the parables? These people came to hear you preach. Why do you talk to them in parables? And listen to Jesus' answer. He said to him in verse 11, because it's been given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it's not been given. Now listen to these words. Let me read several verses to you here. And it's going to take just a second to kind of dig through it. But there's a lot of revelation in it. Verse 12 says, whoever, Jesus is speaking, whoever has to him more will be given and he will have in abundance. But whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. Now, man, at first glance, this is strange because it doesn't sound fair. It's not the concept of God that people have, have developed in their minds. Jesus said, whoever has to him, more will be given. He'll have an abundance, but to whoever doesn't have, even what he does have will be taken away. Jesus, this doesn't sound fair. It doesn't sound right. Well, hold on. He's going to explain some of it. He said in verse 13, therefore I speak to them in parables because seeing they do not see hearing, they do not hear. Now listen, nor do they understand. I want you to say that word, understand. You're going to see this coming up over and over. This is the whole problem right here. He said, seeing they don't see, hearing they don't hear. Now, how do you do that? It's like either you see or you don't, right? Well, no, he said, seeing they don't see. Hearing they don't hear. Well, didn't everybody hear him? Well, they heard him, but very few heard him. I don't really even know of another way to say it. Everybody out there that day saw him, but precious few saw him. Are you following me? The only example I've ever really been able to think of is, you may remember this. I know when I was a kid, This was popular for a little while. Some of you my age will remember this. Those posters that they made that that looked like just shapes and and colors, sort of a geometric thing. And, And supposedly, if you stood there and looked into it long enough, there was an image that would sort of emerge from the background of it. I see some nodding heads. You remember what I'm talking about? And it's like, if you stood just right and stared long enough with your mouth open wide enough and on one foot, then maybe you can see the image. I remember standing at the store, mom and dad are shopping and I'm looking at these posters and at the bottom it tells you there's a unicorn or there's a spaceship in there, right? And if you look at it, you'll see it. And I'm standing there looking at it and I'm staring at it. And how frustrating it was when you're standing there looking at something and some kid goes walking past and goes, hey, unicorn. Or hey, look, a spaceship. You're both looking at the same thing, 
but one of you sees it. Does that make sense to you? Stupid example, but I hope it sticks with you. How possible is it? And it's happening all the time where two people could be looking at the same thing, but one sees something and one sees nothing. Two people listening to the same thing, one who hears something and one who doesn't hear a thing. Jesus said, this is what's happening. It was happening then. Guess what? It's happening now. It's happening right now, especially with spiritual things. This is why you can have two people walk into the same service, sing all the same songs, listen to all the same scriptures, hear the same sermon, one walk out changed and one walk out bored. How's that happen? How's that happen? How does one encounter power and the other not? They saw the same thing. They heard the same thing. Yes and no, right? They both maybe saw a preacher, but one saw Jesus and all the other one saw was a ticking clock. When's this thing getting out? Hmm? One heard revelation. The other heard the recitation of some old scriptures and old verses. And it, it, it's not the physical eyes. It's not the physical ears. It's the condition of the heart. This is the difference between getting what you need and getting what you came for and leaving bored, leaving untouched and unchanged. It doesn't have so much to do with what you see with your natural eyes and hear with your natural ears. It has to do with how your heart heard it and what your heart did with it. He said, seeing they do not see, hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Listen to how many times that word comes up. He said, in them the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled, which says, hearing you will hear and shall not understand. Seeing you will see and not perceive for the hearts. Okay, it's a heart issue. The hearts of this people have grown dull. Their ears are hard of hearing. Their eyes they have closed. Lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears. Lest they should understand with their hearts. With their hearts. Lest they should understand with their hearts and turn so that I should heal them. <sighs> understanding God and understanding His Word and understanding spiritual things is not done with the natural mind. There's one thing I want us as a family to begin to watch over. You hear these words thrown around a lot. And they're things that sound good and they sound like they're coming from a good place, but you've got to be watchful of it. Have you ever heard somebody say, I could never understand? I could never understand how much you love me. I could never understand the price that you paid for me, right? We could never comprehend the greatness of God. Well, there are scriptures that say opposite of that. What people are saying is my natural mind could never understand it. My brain can't wrap around how much you love me. But here's the thing. Stop trying to come at it with the natural mind. Stop trying to understand him with the brain and quit saying what you can't understand. Stop it. 
Stop saying all the time what you can't know. Stop saying all the time that you can't comprehend the things of God. You can. Paul prayed it in Ephesians 3 that you and I would comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height and to know the love of Christ. Quit saying you can't understand it. You can if you'll do it with your heart. If you'll, if you'll wrap around it with your heart and quit trying to naturally process it, you can comprehend it. You can understand it. That doesn't necessarily mean you'll be able to put English words around it all the time. It may require you talking in tongues to try to explain it, but your heart, your heart can enlarge big enough, wide enough, open up so that you can understand. You can comprehend. And the reason you need to, evidently your healing depends on it. He said, if they'd understand with their hearts, I could heal them. So much of the time, and, and we, and I say we, I'm talking faith, people. We get distracted. We get preoccupied with what we can see. In other words, we believe God's good and he wants us well. And so we, we pray for healing and believe we receive healing. And we think, okay, this, this isn't working. So Lord, I, I need you to heal this. I, I need this to be better. I need this to be fixed. What you need is your heart to be opened. You need to understand some things in your heart so that he can heal Something in this body, something in a relationship. See, it's got to take place in the heart first. And there's, an, there's evidently, there's something you don't understand. He said, the, the, the problem here is understanding. How many times did you see it? And then he said to his disciples in verse 16, but blessed. Somebody say blessed. Blessed are your eyes for they see, your ears for they hear. For assuredly, I say to you that many prophets and righteous men desired to see what you see and didn't see it, to hear what you hear and didn't hear it. What's he talking about? Your eyes are blessed. Why? Because you see something that other people wanted to and other people can't. What is it they see that others didn't? Him. When everybody else saw and heard a preacher, these guys see Jesus. They, they're beginning to see this is the Messiah. This is the Son of God. He's not a man like other men in the sense uh, that, that, that we're beginning to see where he's coming from. Now, let me add this to you right here. Just read the next verse or two. He said in verse 18, Therefore hear the parable of the sower. When, he, when anyone hears the word of the kingdom and doesn't understand it, you hear it, but you don't understand it. Then the wicked one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is he who receives seed by the wayside. So the wayside ground is that hard packed ground. And when the seed fell on that hard ground, it couldn't penetrate. It couldn't sink in. 
And that's why Jesus said the birds came and devoured it. Why? It's just sitting there on top. When the seed falls on hard ground, if you like me throwing seed on this platform, it's not going anywhere. If you throw seed on hard ground, the birds go, thank you very much. We'll have that. It's not hidden. It's not submerged. It's not protected. And so they come and they snatch it away. And Jesus said, this is he who receives seed on the wayside ground, who hears the word and doesn't understand it doesn't understand it. Satan, he said, comes immediately and steals the word. Now, what you see in every one of these kinds of grounds is number one, somebody, number one, the word being sown. Number two, somebody hearing it. And number three, Satan doing something to steal it. He's doing something to rob people of the word all the time. And in this first kind of ground, all he had to do was come and take it. Now, if you're not looking deeper, you may think, that he can just do that to anybody. Anybody who hears the word, this is why I don't have the word. This is why I wasn't able to keep it because Satan stole it from me. He's not able to do that at will. Jesus said Satan comes and steals the word immediately from those who heard it but didn't understand it. Think about the words that we use when we talk about just naturally trying to understand something. The one that comes to my mind is eighth grade algebra trying to comprehend, trying to understand. And I remember sitting there struggling with that. Here's the problem. When you're not understanding, listen to the words we use. It's not sinking in. You ever said that before? It's just not sinking in. Have you ever said this before? I don't see that. Isn't that what he said the problem was? They don't see. And those are the words we use to describe a lack of understanding. I don't see what you're saying. I can't quite see that. That's not sinking in. Those are all things we use to describe and the ways we say, I don't get it. I don't understand it. And Satan comes immediately and steals the word from people who don't understand it. Now, remember, what are we understanding with? Is it our brain? Is it our natural mind? It's the heart. So when somebody hears the word and they don't understand it or it doesn't sink in, Satan comes immediately and steals it. But this word understanding, we need to understand more about the word understanding. When you study it, it doesn't just mean that you mentally grasp something. You study it out, it actually means you, you get the meaning of it it means you get the nature of it and it means you understand the value of it. The meaning, the nature, and the value. I know I'm kind of just going line on line here. Are you okay? You hanging with it? When you understand the word, then your heart begins to grab a hold of the meaning of it, the nature of it, and the value of it. And even if your head, after hearing the word, hearing it preached, or just reading the word in your own time, even if your head's going, man, what in the world? I don't get it. Your heart is being fed. And your heart can actually rise up on the inside and say, no, that's my word. That's my word. And your heart can get excited while your head's going, what, what, what? And your heart can go, shut up, you'll get it later. 
Your heart has the ability to receive. Your heart can have things sink in that your head is still catching up with because you understand the meaning of it, the nature of it, the value of it. I don't know that you and I totally appreciate what it means to be able to open the word of God and it makes sense to you. When you read it, not out of a, a, a natural thirst for natural knowledge, but you read it out of a spiritual and a supernatural hunger and a thirst for more of God. And you, you look at it through those eyes and you listen to it through those ears. You can look into the word and man, it can bring light to you and it can minister life to you while there are people all over the world looking at it and it's dry and it's dead and it's lifeless and they give up on it. You and I don't appreciate enough what it means to be able to fellowship with God through his word. I mean, just a quick show of hands. Is there anybody that would say at least at one point in your life, you've heard the word or looked to the word and man, it did something for you on the inside and it excited you and it ministered life to you and it brought an answer to you. That's not normal. You're not normal. I'm probably not the first that have told you that, but let me remind you, you're not normal. Glory to God. Because it takes a different set of eyes and a different set of ears to look into the word and get something out of it. It means something to you. But not only that, you grasp the nature of it. You know what that means? Where it came from. Oh, this is big. You understand that these, though these words were penned by men, they were inspired by the Holy Spirit. And these are not just mere men's words. These are God's words. These are God's thoughts. And this book is not like any other book in all of human history, past, present, or future. This thing is alive. It's God breathed. It's God inspired. It's God anointed. It's got God all over it. And his word is forever settled in heaven. And you see the nature of it. Man, you're like this. I know where this stuff came from. This didn't come out of somebody's head. This came out of the heart of God. This came from the very throne of God. You get the nature of it. And when you understand where something comes from, it has the ability to excite you about it. Think about it like this. Maybe you've got some distant relative, maybe some great, great aunt who is a hundred and whatever years old. And she's kind of famous throughout the family for finding junk in the attic and calling various family members and saying, I got something for you. And you know, after about the third thimble you've been given or just little piece of trash or little piece of junk, she calls again and says, I got something for you. I tell you what, if you work for eight hours today and mow my yard and rake the leaves, there'll be a shiny quarter in it, right? And she calls and says, I got a gift for you. Well, you understand where it's coming from. And because you know where it's coming from, you're like, okay, thank you. I'll be by to get it sometime in the next 10 to 12 years. Probably I'll try to make my way over and get it. Right on the other hand, I don't know, let's say you got a rich grandpa. 
Anybody got a rich grandpa? Do I have any hands in here who grew up with a rich? I see one or two. Listen, if you don't have one of those, you got to get one. I'm telling you, they are awesome. They are awesome. I've had one my whole life and it's awesome, man. I'm telling you the truth because when Papa calls, oh, somebody help me. When Papa calls and says, hey boy, I got something for you. It is not this complacent, lazy, I'll be by sometime. When Papa calls and says, I've got something, just because you know where it's coming from, you don't even got to know what it is yet. You don't even have to understand the whole thing yet. You just know where it's coming from. You've been given gifts from that place before. It's like, you got something? I'm on my way. You jump in the truck that he gave you and you peel out. Of the house. I'm here. Ding dong. Right? Why? One reason. You know where it's coming from. You understand something about the origin of it. And it makes a difference for you. You understand not just the meaning, but the nature. Where this thing is from. And what that gives way to is is understanding the value. See, this is the big problem here. When somebody hears the word and it just falls on solid ground, it's like standing and throwing seed at somebody's forehead. (laughs) What's happening? It just hits them and bounces right off. It's not sinking in. If they don't understand the value of it, let me ask you like this. What happens to valuable things that are left unprotected? They get stolen. Satan comes immediately to steal the word. Can he just steal any word from you? No. The only word Satan's able to steal is the word you didn't value. Keep them in. Keep my words, he said, in your eyes in your ears. Keep them in the midst of your heart. How do you keep them in? The key is understanding. If you go back and look at what Jesus said in that verse that didn't make sense before, and just add this one word to it, see if it helps you. Verse 12, Matthew 13, 12 says, for whoever has, has what? Understanding. Whoever has understanding To him, more will be given. Whoever knows the meaning of it, whoever understands the nature of it, whoever understands the value of it, that's how they get more of it. Whoever has understanding, to him more will be given. He'll have in abundance. But whoever does not have, doesn't have what? Understanding. Whoever does not have a value for the word they've heard. Whoever doesn't appreciate it is at risk of losing it. Whoever doesn't value the word as not just a word from men, but a word from God, it'll be stolen from them. How do we keep the word we've been given? We got to guard the heart. If there's something precious and something valuable in there, it needs to be guarded. That's why you can't stroll into Fort Knox this afternoon and take whatever you want. There's guards 
because there's some valuable stuff in there. That's why they put guards out to keep you out and the stuff in. You need a guard. If, if what you've been given is actually the word of God, God's own thoughts, a revelation of his will and an understanding of his power. If that's actually what it is, it's valuable and valuable things left unprotected get stolen. What happens when you leave a box of gold in the front yard overnight? Huh? Honey, have you seen my gold? What'd you do with it? I don't know. I think I left it in the yard. Let me help you. It's not there anymore. But you think, who would do that? Who would do something so foolish? We're doing it all the time. We're hearing the word, the life-changing word, the life-altering, the course-setting and directing word of God. And just by simply failing to put the value on it that it deserves, we leave it unprotected. And Satan comes along and says, I'll take that. And it's like you never heard it. This word that has the ability to produce and reproduce all this life. And it's like you never heard it. Just simply failing to value it. Failing to appreciate it. Anyone, verse 19, hears the word of the kingdom and doesn't understand it. Or you could say he doesn't value it. Then the wicked one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. Let me give you an example of this in the few minutes that we have here. Go to Mark chapter 6. Honoring the word is paramount to guarding your heart. This is how we keep what we've been given. And this is how we keep Satan from stealing it from us. In Mark chapter 6, Jesus shows up in his own hometown. And in verse 1, it says, He went out of there and came to his own country, and his disciples followed him. And when the Sabbath had come, he began to teach in the synagogue. And many hearing him were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things? What wisdom is this which is given to him that such mighty works are performed by his hands? Now notice this in verse 3. Is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary and brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? Are not his sisters here with us? Notice verse 3. So they were offended at him. But Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor, or you could say not without value, except in his own country, among his own relatives, and in his own house. Now he could do no mighty work there, except he laid hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he marveled, Jesus marveled at what? their unbelief and he went about the other villages in a circuit teaching. He marveled at their unbelief. Now to understand the severity of what just happened in his own hometown, you got to back up, but not very far. I'm, I'm telling you within like 24 to 48 hours before this, if you will understand what's going on in the life and ministry of Jesus leading up to this, it's powerful. I mean, even if you go back to even Mark chapter 2, Mark chapter 3, there, there was a, a day on the Sabbath where Jesus was uh, ministering uh, to, to sick people and the religious people were trying to see if he was going to heal on the Sabbath. 
And there was a man there with a withered hand and, and Jesus asked the religious people, he said, is it right? Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? And the Bible says they kept silent and Jesus looked around at them. And the Bible says that Jesus was angry at the hardness of their heart. Hard ground, hard heart. This made him angry. We'll have to talk more about that next week, I believe, but this made him angry. But then he says to this man, stretch forth your hand. And the man responded and his hand was healed. And right around in that same time was when they lowered that man through the roof who was paralyzed and Jesus forgave his sins and that ticked them all off. And then he told him to rise and walk and that made it worse. And then just in the day or so leading up to this, Jesus tells his, actually, Mark chapter four, Jesus preaches the parable of the sower. And then when he's done preaching that, he gets on a boat with his disciples and says, let's go to the other side. And while they're on the way over there, this storm raises up, just, just comes on them in the middle of the sea. And they wake Jesus up screaming, we're all going to die. We're going to die. You don't care. We're going to die. And he gets up, rebukes the wind and the waves, says, peace, be still. Everything shuts up. They're scared out of their mind. Next thing you know, they're at the other side. The disciples are probably kissing the ground, thanking God to even be alive. And in the middle of all that, this crazy naked guy comes running at him from the tomb, screaming. And Jesus, these disciples are like, what is going on? What happened to this day? It started so normal. And Jesus cast the demon out of this guy. Next thing you know, he's clothed and in his right mind. And Jesus says, we're going back to the other side. The disciples are going, we just got here. I'm never getting on a boat again. I almost died. He said, shut up, let's go. So they get in the boat. They go back to the other side. As soon as they show up there, this is all the same day. There's a crowd there and Jairus, this ruler, this leader of the synagogue comes running up to him, falls at his feet crying out, my little daughter lies at the point of death, but if you come lay your hands on her, she will live. Jesus goes with him, making his way through this crowd. In the middle of this, somebody grabs a hold of him. He goes, who touched me? Disciples said, uh, everybody. And he said, no, somebody touched me. Somebody touched me in faith and power went out of me. And he turned around to see her who had done this thing. And it was this woman who had been with an issue of blood for 12 years, spent everything she had, was nothing better, but grew worse. She's telling him everything that's happened. Jairus is going, we got to go. We got to go. We got to go in the middle of all this. Somebody from Jairus house shows up and says, don't trouble him anymore. She's dead. Jesus whirls around, grabs Jairus by the lapels of that expensive jacket, pulls him in and says, do not be afraid, only believe, turns right around, walks up to Jairus' house, kicks out everybody who's screaming and crying and wailing, shuts the door on them, says to her, little girl, I say to you, arise. And she gets up. This is all the same day. Same day. Notice this. Do you see the progression of the power? What started as preaching of the word the word made flesh. Jesus, the word was preaching the word and he was preaching the parable of the word. So the word was preaching the word and the subject of the word he was preaching was the word. I mean, if faith was ever going to come, it was going to be that day. And it started with the preaching of the word and it snowballed into the delivering of this man, casting the devil out of him. And then it, it 
grew from that into setting this woman free. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you whole. And it snowballed out of that into the raising of the dead. There's momentum beginning to build in his life, in his ministry. And he goes right from there. The very next thing, he goes into his own hometown. And we know what he preached. If you couple it with other accounts, he stood up and in his own hometown and said, the spirit of the Lord is on me. He's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He's anointed me to preach, uh, uh, the, to bring healing to the brokenhearted, recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are oppressed. He's preaching what they've been seeing. And now all of a sudden he stands up at home and they go, we know you. We know you. This is, that's, that's the, what's his name? From the carpenter. Jesus. Yeah, we know you. Anointed. Psh, give me a break. Boy, get down. Your sisters are here. Your brothers. We're just talking about anointed. Who is this guy? Come on, give me a break. It says they were offended. And in response to that, the Bible said, Jesus could there do no mighty work. So all this momentum, this power that's been increasing and increasing and increasing comes to a screeching halt because of familiarity. Because there was no honor. Because they didn't value the word. They could not see past the flesh. We know you. Now notice what they said. We know where you're from. You're from down the street. Your house is around the corner. We, we know your family. We know where you're from. They failed to understand where he was really from. They failed to understand the meaning of what he was saying, the origin of where it was coming from. And because of that, there was no value for it. And it wasn't as though Jesus said, oh, you're not going to respect me? Fine. No miracles for you. <laughs> it didn't say that his, his will was cut short or it didn't say that he, he was trying to prove a point. It said he couldn't do it. The word was falling on hard ground. The word was falling on hard hearts. And they're going, what are you talking about? We know you. We're family. You can't be anointed. I'm related to you. What's that have to do with it? Everybody's related to somebody. But this familiarity... It's a failing to value the word because you're so familiar. You're so casual with it. You're going you're to notice something about this church. We are not striving in an effort to see how casual we can be. And you start talking in those terms and immediately everybody thought, starts talking about thinking about clothes. Oh, is this a dressy church? Is it a jeans and t-shirt church? Stop it. Stop it. Stop it. Heart. Heart. We're not motivated by how casual we can be with the things of God. 
as I was praying about this, this thought came to me. This is actually one of the big reasons marriages are failing. People think they're falling out of love, but really all that's happened is you've gotten so familiar that you fail to value what once was precious to you. And what you fail to appreciate, you are at risk of losing. Satan comes to steal whatever you don't find valuable. So whether you're talking about each other or God himself, you protect what's valuable to you. You protect it. David said it like this, God, you are my God. Earnestly will I seek you. One translation says early. If you look it up, it literally means seriously. You know what David said? I'm not playing games. I'm not playing games with you, God. I'm seeking you seriously. I am a serious seeker, not a casual congregant. I'm a serious seeker. What you value, you'll protect. Thank you, Lord. Musicians, you guys begin to come. Sarah, if the Lord's got something for you to say, I want you to say it. This is how we keep Satan from stealing the word in our lives. You will keep what you heard today if you'll value what you heard today. How do we value the word? We give it place. One of the things we're discovering as pastors is place cannot be taken until it's first been given. I cannot take my place as a pastor in somebody's life. I can't take a place that they don't give. The word of God can't take a place in your life that you don't give it. Did you hear what Sarah read to us earlier today? Pay more earnest heed unless these things slip away, unless they get taken from us. How do we value the word? We give it place. We give it place. We honor it by giving it place in our life. We give his word place above any other word. How do we honor the word? We mix faith with it. The same willingness to God, or the same willingness of God to heal was present in Jesus' hometown the same way it was at Jairus' house, the same way it was in the streets when that woman touched his garment, the same way it was in Decapolis when that crazy man got set free. The same willingness of God was present to heal in Jesus' hometown, but his ability was cut short because they failed to mix faith with the word they heard. Just too casual with it. Just too casual with it. And this is where society is pushing you and pushing me, pushing us towards casual, casual in everything, casual in our relationships. I'm not looking for something serious, just something casual. That's not what God's looking for. He's not looking for somebody playing games. And that, if we're not watchful, spills over into how we approach him, how we approach his word, and how we approach his things, including church, including coming together to hear the word. Just you being here this morning, you know what that says? I value this. 
I value this. And if you'll value this, it won't be stolen from you. It's protected. It's kept safe because it actually sunk in. And if you mix faith with what you heard, the Bible says in the book of Hebrews, talking about the children of Israel, man, they had the gospel preached to them, but it didn't profit them anything because it wasn't mixed with faith in them that heard it. So here you have all this good word, right? It's like a, like a chemical compound, something that in itself isn't producing anything. But then you got this other thing that really by itself, it's not producing anything, but some things when you combine them, you will blow the roof off the lab. Some of you have testimonies from high school to prove it. You combine things that become explosive when you put them together. That's what happens with the word of God. It's only life to those that find them. It's only health to the flesh of those who will mix faith with it. How do you mix faith with it? You hear it and you go, that's my word. That's mine. I believe that. Well, it doesn't look like it. Shut up. I don't care. I believe it. I don't care what it looks like. I don't care what it feels like. I believe that word and I will believe that word and I'll keep believing that word and you can't talk me out of that word. That's my word. And while the while your head's like, what, 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 what? I don't see it. I don't feel it. But your heart's going, yes, we've got it. That's our answer. It's sinking in. You're beginning to understand it and comprehend it and it'll work. It'll work. Can you see now why it's so important we guard our heart? Because there's precious stuff in there. There are valuable things in there. I can give you a thousand and one reasons that you need to guard your heart. But one of the chiefest of all is this is where you hear from him. This is where he speaks to you. This is where you get direction. This is where you get correction and leadership and guidance. It comes out of here. This is why this has to be clean and it's got to be clear. And why you and I have to guard against familiarity, becoming so familiar with the things of God. Oh, I've heard that before. Yeah, we heard that. I mean, I know I'm going long. Just give me this last second. What if you're dealing with something and man, it's life threatening and some God wakes up somebody in your family, this church family, Cross town, wakes them up in the middle of the night and starts talking to them about you and what you're dealing with and gives them the answer from his word and says, now go tell them, go tell them. And man, maybe that person sweat BBs all night long going, I can't do that. I'm not a preacher, but somehow God got enough courage in them to come find you and say, this is what the Lord said. I got a word for you. And he said, by his stripes, you were healed. And you look back and go, I know. Yeah, I heard it. I've heard that. Man, how long you've been saved? I've been saved since you were in diapers. I've been hearing that verse all my, yeah, I know that, but I've heard that, but now you see it, but you don't see anything. You're hearing it, but you're not hearing anything. It's a failure to value it. And people will act like that and just be so casual with it and be so familiar with it. And it will be the very reason the word fails to produce anything in their lives. But the word you honor and the word you value is the word you will keep and it's the word that will work. There are some people that are saying, 
why does this work for them and it doesn't work for me? Well, God said that His Word is incorruptible seed. Incorruptible. That means it will work in a pure heart. It will work if it has soil to grow in. It will bear fruit if it has a place to produce. Why don't we just take a moment and if we need to rip out anything that doesn't belong in these hearts, anything that would keep the incorruptible word from working, let's take it out. Let's rip it out. This word always works if it's given a place to work. So right now, Father, we come before you hearts wide open. We believe that your word is incorruptible. That means it cannot be corrupted. It cannot ruin, it cannot fail. It is alive, it's quick, it's sharp, it's powerful. It will work in my life. And if there's anything that doesn't belong, any offense, any bitterness, any single thing that needs to be plucked out, that needs to be uprooted, any unbelief, any fear, anything unpure in the heart, we rip it up right now. You just do it by faith. You just rip it up. I rip it up. I rip it out. Every weed, every thorn, everything that doesn't belong. I take it by its root and I rip it out. Any fear, any insecurity, anything holding me back and holding this heart from being a ground where your word can work, I rip it out. I rip it up. And Lord, we just repent. We repent if there's anything we've held on to. We let it go. Any unforgiveness, we let it go. We say, go from us. Be ripped up. Be uprooted from our heart. This soil is good ground. Say, I am good ground that the Word can work in. Hallelujah. Do you receive that this morning? And if there's other things... Lord, we bear our hearts. We are honest before you. We'll stop pretending and we'll start seeing the glory of God, the goodness of God, fruit in our life. We'll keep on bearing fruit in old age. And we give you a place to work, hearts that are open to you. Now we lay hold of your word to us today. We won't let it drift away. We won't be drifters, but we are planted secure, settled, set up in the house of the Lord. And we praise you and we thank you. Thank you so much for tuning in today. We hope you enjoyed this message. If you need someone to pray with you, there are several ways for you to contact us. Feel free to give us a call at 817-577-0180. You can also contact us through the Legacy Studios app or either of our websites. Giving options are available online at pearsonsministries.com and legacychurch.family. 
If you prefer, you can also text an offering. Simply text LEGACY in any dollar amount to the number 28950 and follow the prompts. Be blessed today. We love you. And remember, you are always welcome here in the House of Faith.